And so last week we talked about Joseph, or last time, not last week, two weeks ago. We talked about Joseph and how he's this often ignored figure in our nativity set. And well, today we're going to talk about Mary. And, and right off the bat, we have to talk about two major pitfalls that the church falls into when it comes to Mary. See, sometimes we pay too much attention to Mary, right? We give her so much attention and so much veneration that we elevate her to a position of holiness, sinlessness, and purity that only God innately holds. But that's not the only way that Mary has been missed by the church. See, on the other side, we become so scared of the first pitfall, uh, so cautious of accidentally worshiping Mary or leading someone else into that idea that we ignore her completely or, or we fail to see how the Bible really represents her. Right? We fail to see that her story is, in fact, remarkably unique. Right? Mary's story is unique. Mary isn't God, right? We don't pray to Mary in our tradition, but she's not a nobody, right? She has a remarkable story, and we can learn a lot about God and a lot about us by paying attention to Mary. Now, Mary wasn't sinless. I said that. She's not God. She's not our intercessor, right? But she is unique, and she was a lifelong faithful believer, and she finished her life as a disciple of her own son, Jesus. Now, unless uh, someone here has carried the physical son of God in their body, then we have to admit that Mary is unique in a way that no one else in the Bible is, in a way that no one else who ever lived is, and no one else who ever will live is. She is unique. There's no getting around that. So if you've been tracking with us over the past two weeks, we're working our way through this Advent series. We're looking at Jesus's origin. And so we talked about Jesus as the son of Joseph, that big checkbox that I talked about with the kids that he needs to be descended from David. And today we're looking at Jesus as the son of Mary. And Mary is a huge part of Jesus's origin story, right? We learned about God and his plan through her. We learn about God and his plan through her. And so we're going to camp out in the book of Luke today in chapter 1, and we're going to talk about Mary's favor, three things, Mary's favor, Mary's fear, and Mary's faith. So Mary's favor, Mary's fear, and Mary's faith. And all of this is going to come through in the story of Jesus's conception in Luke chapter 1. And so let's pop over in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 and let's just talk about Mary's favor or really God's favor toward Mary. Verse 26 says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Mary is minding her own, own business, right, in her own hometown, Nazareth, when she encounters an angel. Luke says God sent this angel named Gabriel. And uh, we talked a little bit about angelic encounters last week when we talked about Joseph, or two weeks ago when we talked about Joseph, how he heard from an angel telling him not to be afraid to marry Mary, even though she was pregnant. 
And now we get to see Mary having an encounter with an angel. And it's the same for her. God's angels share God's messages. So why would God send Gabriel to Mary? Well, right off the bat, we should be ready to hear a message that God has for her. When an angel shows up, right, we should be able to, ready to hear a message that God has to say. We also learn from this passage that Mary was a virgin. She was not married yet. She was engaged. And scholars estimate that she was somewhere between 15 and 16 years old. It doesn't really shine through a lot on a lot of renderings of Mary in the nativity, right? She looks young, but she doesn't look like a teenager. It kind of makes us feel weird often to think about Mary as a teenager getting married to Joseph, but this wasn't uncommon cultural practice and the time and place that we're talking about here. So just to put on our kind of, you know, historical cap, right, and, and put ourselves in that place. Uh, and we didn't read this part of the story, but right before this encounter, Luke details, as Noel said, how Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, has also miraculously conceived a son, John, who will later be known as John the Baptist. And now she was already married, and she had wanted children. Her miracle is that she was really old, way too old to have children, right? And then, and then Luke pans to this young, unmarried virgin in a town called Nazareth. Right? Elizabeth was at the end of her journey, and Mary was just beginning it. In verse 27, Luke tells us that she's engaged to Joseph of the house of David. That's important, right? And we talked about why last week, Joseph of the house of David. God promised David centuries before this that he would make him a house and a throne and a kingdom that would never end. And so Joseph, Mary's uh, soon-to-be husband, is of that house. We talked about how Jesus, although being God, is also human and by adoption descended from King David. And the promises that go with that point to him as the promised Messiah. And so we're going to see that Mary's role in Jesus' origin story carries a different piece of who Jesus is, and it fulfills other promises and prophecies given by God. And so Luke continues, and the virgin's name was Mary. Right? She's not nameless. She's not to be forgotten. She's Mary. And now in verse 28, the angel is going to address her, and here's what he says. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Gabriel calls her favored woman. What does it mean to be favored? Is this like when you have a favorite TV show or favorite flavor of ice cream, you like it the best, you enjoy it the most? Or, or like a favored friend or a person who just brings joy to your life? What is he saying when he's calling her a favored woman? Or is she being elevated above every other woman? Does God love her more than everyone else? Has she done something in her life uh, where she sought God's attention? Has she caught God's attention and he's just bestowing this favor on her like a reward because she's a good person? Now, sometimes it helps to slow down and just ask a few questions. Like, we don't use language like favored very often in everyday conversation. 
If we look it up real quick, even with Google's dictionary, the first dictionary uh, definition that would pop up is that to favor is to feel or show approval or preference for. And while I think this is true, it lacks the depth of the biblical definition. And, it, and it's also important to note that Luke was first written in the Greek language then translated into English among many other languages. And so now the Greek word he uses is haratao. You don't need to remember that. It only shows up in one other place in the Bible. That's in Ephesians 1.6, where Paul is talking about the blessings we have in Christ, which he has lavishly bestowed upon us, or in another way, favored us with. The blessings of God that he has favored us with in Christ. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 1.6. And Paul would go on in that letter to talk about how all of this is by the grace of God alone. That it cannot be earned. And so favor is to be blessed by God. Favor is to be blessed by God. It is a gift given by God. Favor is God's gift of grace. And so to be favored is to be a beneficiary, a receiver of God's grace, to be a receiver of God's kindness, his blessing, and it's always unearned, right? It's not that God finds some of us cuter than others, right? It's not that some of us are better than others. It's not that any of us uh, innately has a leg to stand on before our holy God because none of us, not even Mary, can come before a holy God and say, I deserve your favor. Right? Because all of us, including Mary, have sinned and we fall short of God's glory. Romans 3.23. See, we're not on the same playing field as God himself. So anytime God shows favor, he's breaking through the barrier of our sin with his grace. Right? Anytime God shows favor. He's breaking through the barrier of our sin with his grace. And so this angel is saying to Mary, greetings, O beneficiary of God's unmerited kindness. But of course, it's much quicker to say, greetings, favored woman. But just know that all that is packed in that little greeting, right? We could skip over that so easily, but there's so much packed in that greetings, favored woman. Why is she favored? Because God is choosing to bless her. Then the angel tells her, the Lord is with you. God is here with you right now. He's present and his power is at work. Right? This isn't the same as a blessing or a greeting. May the Lord be with you. The angel Gabriel is telling Mary, the Lord is with you. You know, this harkens back to another part of the Bible in the Old Testament when God chose Gideon to assemble an army and defend his people. He's given this great task, uh, one that was going to require him to heavily rely on God's strength. He, as he entered battle, outnumbered, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon to assure him of God's help in this assignment before he even received it. And he said, the Lord is with you valiant warrior. That's in Judges 6.3. 
This is another time where we hear this phrase, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, valiant warrior, as he says to Gideon as he's outnumbered and about to defend God's people. And now Mary is about to receive an assignment from God, and this angel says to her, the Lord is with you. He is with you. He's got you today, and he'll have you tomorrow. What I'm about to tell you is going to happen. It's going to succeed because the Lord is with you. So this greeting that we could quickly brush over is much more than saying, hi, Mary, right? This greeting is full of meaning and connotations of weight, right? Especially the fact that it's given by an angel sent by the Lord. Right? This greeting is enough to overwhelm anyone, let alone a teenage girl. Sometimes an encounter with God, sometimes knowing that God is with us is a comfort. And sometimes when we sense the enormity of who he is and what his plan is and what he's going to ask us to do as he invites us into it, sometimes when we sense that it can be, when, sometimes when we sense that it can be a little bit scary too. And so although anyone would want to be called blessed by God and be blessed by God, and we would all want to have the Lord with us, look at how Mary responds initially to this greeting, this favor from God in verse 29. It says, but she was deeply troubled by this statement. She was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So we talked about Mary's favor. Let's talk about her fear. She hasn't even been told what's going to happen yet. Or do you ever have one of those moments where you're greeted by a family member or a well-known friend and the look on their face tells you that this isn't just a regular greeting, that they have some news for you? Right? Or, or maybe a boss before they're going to ask you to do some undesirable task, right? And you're like, okay, what's what's coming next, right? Maybe you've got people in your life who always need to borrow money and you kind of think they're going to ask based off the kind of greeting that they give. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> right? Maybe you're that person and you know that you give that kind of greeting before you're going to ask to borrow money. It's fine. You just kind of sense that there's more to the greeting, right? There's an angel in her house, Right? They don't just pop in real quick to let you know that you're favored by God right? and then tell you to have a nice day and pop out. Right? There's more to this, and Mary senses that, and she's troubled by the statement. The statement that God is with you in this greeting, O oh, favored woman. Right? Not just troubled. The word says she was deeply troubled, probably stunned. Right, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Verse 30, Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And it kind of sounds like he's saying the same thing that freaks her out to begin with, doesn't it? Don't worry, you've been favored by God. But you know, just like God is with you, this harkens back to past times when God was about to do something through a person. Right, these words, do not be afraid. They hearken back to uh, even, even more to God's love for his people and his willingness to go with them on the journey that he's called them to. 
Like, do you know what the most repeated command in the Bible is? Do not be afraid or fear not. Why is that? Because we worry. Right? We worry, don't we? we? We worry about the past. We worry about the present. We worry about the future. We fear the rug being pulled out from under us at any minute. We fear the loss of what we love. We fear the loss of who we love. Right? We fear discomfort, suffering, pain, inconvenience, social situations, loneliness, we fear a lot of things. But the God of Mary, he sends a message to her and he sends a message to us. Fear not. Mary is in a long line of believers before her and after her who hear this assurance. Fear not. So the angel tells her, don't be afraid. You've found favor with God. He doesn't want to harm you. He's not here to smite you, right? He, uh, she, she would have been aware of her lack of worthiness to be in the presence of God and to be in the presence of God's angel, right? She was still in a religious system where God dwelt only in the holiest place in the temple where only priests could enter. And after much ceremony, including the sacrifice of an animal for their sins, right? If they didn't do that, the presence of God would literally kill them. Probably not in an Indiana Jones lost ark way, but it would kill them nonetheless, right? Well, well, Mary has an angel in front of her who's saying that God is with you, and she has none of that, right? She has none of the trappings that normally are required for being in the presence of God. So in that moment, to know that he's there and she's found favor with him, that should be a comfort, but for some reason it's not. So he says, fear not, you've found favor with God. And then he says, verse 31, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Right? No big deal, right? I like to imagine that's how Mary heard it, right? See, now we know why she was feeling a little disconcerted at Gabriel's greeting. She's being told that she'll be giving birth to the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. God's going to give him the throne of his father, David, and he's going to reign over the house of Jacob, that's Israel, forever and his kingdom will have no end. The eternal Son of God, the Messiah, this king who will eternally reign. So the big idea is she's about to conceive a son, and somehow in all of this, Mary is collected enough to see a barrier to God's plan. And so she asks a question, verse 34. Mary asks the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? You know, people in ancient times knew how babies were born, too, right? Sometimes we think that people back then were just like, we don't know how things work. They knew how things work back then. Sometimes we think they were stupid back then. Sometimes we think we're a lot smarter than they were. Uh, the author C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery, right? We think just because we're further on in time that we're smarter than the people back then. 
And it's important that when we read ancient texts, especially the Bible, that we realize that while we might be benefit from many modern advances, people were not less intelligent back then than they are today. And so Mary is using her mind, and she asks this question. Right? There are times when angels come to people in the Bible and tell them that something God's about to do. Those people ask a question, and it doesn't go well. Like in this very book, just a few verses back, John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, he uh, asks the same angel a similar question because he's being told that his elderly wife is going to have a baby. Right? He says, how can we have kids when we're so old? But then the angel takes away his ability to speak until his baby is born. See, he and his wife were praying that God would let them have a baby. And the angel came and God said, We've answered, I've answered your prayer, right? The angel said, God has answered your prayer. And Zechariah, as an older man, he would have been much more educated than Mary. He should have been much more seasoned in his faith. And his question was a more a question of God's power, right? Mary's question is more logistical, right? How, how is this going to happen? Give me the details, right? Gabriel actually tells Zechariah, you didn't believe my words, See, Mary is believing his words, but she's also seeking to understand them. And this kind of gets us to our next point, talking about Mary's faith. Right? We talked about her favor. We talked about her fear. Now let's look at her faith. See, faith is good. We should believe what God says when he says it. We should believe his word, but we also need to understand what it is that's being said to us. Now, you might notice that I tried to give a lot of uh, backstory and context and even repeat a lot in my sermons. And this is because I want whoever's listening to understand the words that I'm sharing from the Bible. God honors faith seeking understanding. He does not honor incredulous unbelief, right? Those two are very different. You know, a lot of Christians I know who grew up in church are often talk about how they were scared to ask questions of their parents or scared to ask questions of their pastors. Some were told just to believe and not to doubt. But God gives us brains for a reason, right? And he really, really wants us to know him, and he really wants us to know him for who he is. So we should feel free to ask our questions, even our difficult ones. That's part of the reason why we have that book out there, uh, on the resource table for anyone who has questions about Christmas. These are common questions. You can read that book and hopefully find some answers and investigate faith, investigate your faith, right? That's sometimes how we come to understanding. I mean, maybe some of our questions won't have an answer. That happens too. But we can ask in faith and we can ask in humility. And so Mary's faith, it enables her to ask for clarity. Mary's faith enables her to ask for a plan. Mary's faith enables her boldly, right, to ask for more information about what's going to happen to her. And in verse 35, the angel replies to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. That's some really important information. Right, so this baby won't be Joseph's in the natural sense. He's going to be God's son. 
and not just the spiritual or not in just the spiritual or in the figurative way that people might have been called God's son in the past, but in a literal way, literally conceived by God. And this process is a mystery. This is all we know about how this came about. Mary could become pregnant and remain a virgin because God worked a miracle. Don't mistake this for uh, stories in Greek mythology where a god would come down and have an affair with a mortal like Zeus fathering Hercules or that kind of thing. God is not in any way sexually interacting with Mary. There's no history or aspect to God's character that lends itself uh, to sexual exploits with humanity. That's not in the Old Testament. That's not in the New Testament. It's actually one of the things that makes the God of the Bible very different uh, from pagan gods. Also, Jesus isn't half God like Hercules. Jesus is fully God, fully God, fully man. This is not the story of a demigod, but the story of God himself dwelling in the womb of a virgin wrapped in her humanity, and it's wild. It's a wild story. It's even more wild than all that other stuff. Right? Jesus derives his humanity from Mary, and that's really important because Jesus was fully God, but also fully man. If he weren't human, he could have never identified with us. He could have never died for us, and he would never have needed to be resurrected for us. The gift of eternal life that Jesus offers is ours because he chose to be like us to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death we should have died. None of that happens without Mary. The angel goes on in verse 36, And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. He tells her about Elizabeth, and then he says, nothing will be impossible with God. Elizabeth's pregnancy is a sign to Mary that God can do the impossible. And she didn't know that she was pregnant yet. But she's about to see her in person because right after this, the Bible says she rushed over to her house. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John, right, who was called to rejoice at Jesus's presence and herald his coming, that was his mission as an adult, right, that baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb when Mary tells Elizabeth her story. God gives Mary a sign, but after she believes, not before. A lot of times we want the sign before we believe. We want the proof, right, but signs fall flat on the faithless. Right? A sign is not going to change someone who doesn't have faith already. A sign means nothing if you don't have faith. And this sign is an encouragement to Mary and a reminder that God can do the impossible. So Gabriel tells her all of this, and then how does she respond? Verse 38. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said, then the angel left her. Now, Mary's faith not only allowed her to ask questions, it ultimately allowed her to accept God's plan willingly. Right? It led her not only to hear the words of God, but to obey them. Faith will work itself out in this way. Right? If we believe God, if we believe that what he says is true, and we find that in Scripture, 
But if we believe that God will do what he says, then we will respond by also doing what he says. If we believe he's good and therefore his plan is good, we will obey him when he calls us to follow him. And her faith journey doesn't end uh, in simply doing what God says, even just in this little snippet. We see that faith in God culminates in obedience in God and it terminates with joy in God. Right? Faith leads to obeying God, but also leads to joy in God. In just a few verses, Mary runs over to her cousin's house and they rejoice together about what is what God is doing. And then Mary bursts into a song in verse 47, verse 46. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. She goes on to sing about the global ramifications of her son being born. We talked about this last year in our Advent series, right? Mary's song, her son being born, and that he's going to topple regimes. He's going to bring mercy and justice to the world. Mary was blessed, right? Mary was unique, and her place in history is unique, and we should honor her story, Right? No one else has done what she has done, what God has done through her. So we should honor her as a faithful servant of the Lord. And if we're Christian, then we honor her as a fellow disciple of Jesus and a sister in Christ who showed remarkable faith in a very difficult situation. And more than Joseph, she would catch the glances of judgmental neighbors as she walked around unmarried with a baby bump. Right? She would learn to follow her own son as the king of kings, her savior, her God. She would sit at the cross as her son paid the price for the sin of the world, hers included. She was there after he was raised from the dead on the third day. She likely watched her, her son ascend into heaven. And believing that one day she would have eternal life with him, she stayed with his disciples as the church was born. She prayed with his disciples after he was gone. She was uh, of one mind with the disciples, Acts 1.14 says. She was devoted to them and with them in prayer. Right? We will never worship her or pray to her or consider her as innately holy, but this was no ordinary woman. This was no ordinary person. Being favored by God is not equal to having an easy life, right? But talk about a life well lived. When we say yes to God, we set out on an adventure. And every good adventure story has joys, it has sorrows, it has gains, it has losses. But God's story always, always ends in eternal joy. Mary was favored by God. But, but hear me when I say this too. If you're listening to this message this morning, right, you are favored by God too. God has come to you with his word this morning. You have heard the story of Jesus just like Mary did, and you've been called to enter into that story just like she did, right? Anytime you encounter the word of God, consider yourself favored by God. That is not the experience of everybody in this world. 
And more than that, consider yourself favored that as John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, and God so loved you that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The gift is in front of us, right? The favor is in front of you, right? Maybe you've already received this gift and you've believed in Jesus. Then we can be like Mary and, and answer the call to follow him. Right? Don't try to be Mary or live up to Mary, right? but just be a faithful version of you and look and see what God's favor can do in a single life. Right? If you're a believer, consider yourself favored by God. So you might not have carried the physical Christ in your womb, but you carry him in your heart. Right? The very Holy Spirit that conceived Christ lives in the believers of Jesus. Think about that, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has called us to an adventure. Let our faith culminate in obedience and, and terminate with joy, glorifying God. Um, I stumbled upon a profound lyric when I was listening to the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, that I thought was just when I was preparing this sermon, I just thought, wow, I never thought of it that way. I never really paid attention to that lyric as much as I did now. It, it goes like this. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Right, so maybe these are the words you or someone you know needs to hear uh, during what might be a less than ideal or uncertain in some cases, maybe even tragic Christmas. Right. God is with you. Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God.